Hey, we are in the second week of a series called The Buffet. Um, oh my gosh, when you think of The Buffet, don't you just see a table in front of you with all the goodness on it? Like every type of cake and donut and chocolate you could possibly imagine. There's a scripture that talks about these buffets and it's in Matthew. Let's read this before we get started. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, I I think of this scripture when I think of a buffet table because I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. And, um, and so when I look at these tables and I see all these incredible luxuries like cake and donuts and chocolate and, oh my gosh, if it's dark chocolate, then it's got me every time. And you see this, and then amongst this table, you will also find a bowl of carrot sticks. And I like to call these carrot sticks the narrow gate. Because I always struggle to choose the carrot sticks. There wasn't a whole lot of savory going on when God created me. It was all about sugar. And um, and so I just, man, I find these buffet tables so hard. You know, I was um, at the supermarket the other day and I was um, shopping. And you know, the the general way it goes, massive supermarket, limited time, got a list, got to get through it, got a family at home that's hungry, wants some food you know, that way. And so um, I'm just shopping at the supermarket and I pick up this product and I'm, and I'm going around my normal day and I end up at the other side of the supermarket. And then, of course, I find something I actually wanted, not that first one. I want this one now. And then you're faced with the narrow gate decision. Do I go all the way to the other side of the supermarket to put the product back in its correct place? Or do I put it right here where I am. Come on, don't tell me that you've never had this moment before. And so I'd like to say that in this shopping trip, I did go all the way back despite my limited time in the huge supermarket. But I have been known to struggle immensely in this area. So I am still on a journey in this way. But when I was thinking about it, I thought of how the environment that we are in when we're creating and making these kinds of choices and decisions really impacts what we choose. And so in this moment, this large supermarket with limited time was impacting my decision to choose the narrow gate. There is a scripture in the Bible that I really believe God um, is speaking through today in this season, and I believe it's something for this season that God wants to bring awareness to and to wake us up to. And so I want to share the scripture with you today. It's in Joel chapter 3, and Joel chapter 3, verse 9. And I just think, get, get your Bibles out and highlight the scripture Take this home, says, say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. 
when I was reading this scripture, I really felt like God was speaking to his people, to his church, saying that it's time for us to awaken and be aware of the environment that we're in in this season. In this scripture, it talks about taking your plowshares and your pruning hooks and hammering those very things that you used in peacetime seasons, in seasons where it's about preparing the dirt, not about fighting, to take those tools and hammer them into swords and spears to get ready for war. Because the reality is, We are all in an environment where there is an enemy. And maybe you're like, what enemy are you talking about, Renee? Well, there is an enemy called Satan. And if you don't know much about Satan, basically he was an angel, a mighty angel in the heavens. And he got a bit prideful and he decided that actually I could be God. I want his throne. And so basically God kicked him out of heaven Because he's like, you know what, I'm God, you're not, so you've got to go. And Satan's been on earth ever since, trying to wreak havoc. The reality is, Satan hates God. He hates Jesus. And he hates anyone that bears the name of Jesus. And so when we made a decision to become believers of Jesus, to become children of God, What happened is Satan put a target on our back to try and take us out using whatever means necessary. But today we do not have to be scared. We do not have to be fearful. We do not have to be worried. We do not have to be anxious. Because the good news is that Jesus came and he died on the cross so that we would have the power to overcome the enemy in our lives. It says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3 that we have everything we need to live a life that pleases God. So what that's saying is that regardless of the environment that we're in, regardless of the enemy lurking around, we still have everything that we need to be able to make the kinds of choices to live the kind of life that pleases God. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to take down strongholds. And the strongholds that the scripture is referring to are the strongholds that the enemy tries to create around us. The forces that he stirs up in the spiritual realm, the lies that he sows inside of our mind, that he builds up like fortresses in our mind so that every decision we make goes through the stronghold first. We have to be aware of those strongholds. But it says that, the, that Jesus, that God has given us the power to demolish every single stronghold that may enter our lives. You know, there's a, a story in the Bible in the um, very beginning in Genesis. And um, it's really a story where we can really see Satan messing with humanity. 
And um, basically what's happening, if you're not familiar with this story, is that um, God's just created heaven and earth and he's created all the creatures of the sea and the creatures of the land. And then he's created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he's created this garden that is called the Garden of Eden. Now, Eden's name means paradise. It means desire. It means pleasure. And so this beautiful paradise is where the story is held. And um, what happens is God has said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but you cannot touch this one tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil. So we can pick it up in chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said that you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This passage, this story, I believe, can bring us truths about what we need to navigate the environments that we find ourselves in, to navigate the enemy. And so the first thing that I want to pull out of this story, and the first point point I want to make, is that we can navigate those environments by understanding the enemy, by understanding the enemy. Now, you may be wondering what all these props are going on here for. Well, there's a really cool thing about to happen. I'm about to teach you all about fishing. (laughs) Hello. So we were out and um, going fishing in like the deep blue somewhere. And um, and, um, and anyway, we were just getting ourselves ready. And um, when I say we, we were out with a great couple in their really huge, big, 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 big boat with like a massive fish finder and, you know, like proper fishing boat, right? All ready to go. And um, we were out to catch some big fish. And, um, and first of all, for this big fish that I believe was called a kingy that we were going to go for, we had to stop in this little hole where these liveys were, which are apparently these little fish that you use as live bait, hence the word liveys. So we put these little hooks down on fishing rods, the little fishing rods, and um, and we're just bringing up these liveys. And honestly, they're nearly jumping in the boat. They just cannot wait to get on these hooks. Apparently, these hooks look really attractive to these liveys. And um, I don't know, do they have another name? Maybe mackerel? I don't know. That could be a complete guess. Anyway, they're jumping in the boat. And so we have now got this tank 
of Livies. And they're swimming around, not knowing their fate at all. And, um, and I'm just watching them. And anyway, we go to the next stop. And we are now at the Kingy Hole. This is where the Kingies are. And Nev says to me, Renee, time to pop down your liveys, Rod, hun. You're going to put on this harness thing and you're going to pick up this, I like to call a kingy rod. And um, I'm like, Nev, why have I got this particular rod? And he's like, well, there is this heavy duty fishing line. And that's because they're heavy duty fish. And you don't want this thing to snap when you catch one. So you're going to need this heavy-duty line. And don't forget the heavy-duty rod. Because when these things get on, oh my gosh, watch out. And um, by this time, I was slightly freaking out. And so we've got these liveys, these poor little fish, jumping in the boat for this fate. And we've got them on a hook that looks like this. Oh my goodness. And when you see a hook that likes, looks like this at the end of a rod that looks like this, you start to realize the kind of fish that you're trying to pull into the boat. So I'm like, all right, let's catch a kingy. And for the purpose of the message, we caught lots of kingies. And so off we went to the next spot. And so we've got the fish finder on, and we're like now going after the snapper. So Nev tells me I know a snapper spot. It's by this little rock island in the, in the ocean, and this, this spot, this spot catches some good snapper. So off we go to catch our snapper. But this time he says, Renee, put down your kingy rod. He probably didn't call it that, but anyway, Nev would be so horrified. And pick up your snapper rod. Now, this snapper rod looks a bit different. It's a whole lot lighter, and the nylon is not as thick. I'm like, why have we got this rod now, Nev? Well, Renee, you don't need the weight of the other rod, and you don't need the weight because the fish aren't as heavy. However, you need this little wobble ability at the top <laughs> so that you can jig when you get bites. I'm like, all right. So this time... We have got these looking hooks at the end. Now, these looking hooks, as you can see, have pink things on them. Now, these pink things are apparently really attractive to snapper. So, as they go through the water, the snapper are like, oh my gosh, I need to go and check out that pink thing over there. <laughs> now, we don't use liveys for snapper. Oh no, no, no. They prefer their bait cut up. So, we've got cut up bait on pink pretty hooks with a different jiggly rod and we're ready to go. And it dawned on me when I was watching this complete setup that this is how the enemy works. He knows us so well and he's tricky. You see, he doesn't come up to us and go, he doesn't, he doesn't come up to us and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this burly bomb out. And this burly bomb, you're not going to be able to resist. And it is just going to attract you in. And these little pink hooks, oh my gosh, you love these pink hooks. I know you love these pink hooks. And you're going to jump on this hook. And then you're going to reel up. You're going to be reeled up into the boat. 
And then what's going to happen when you get into the boat is you're going to get knocked out. And then after you get knocked out, you're going to get filleted. And then you're going to get skinned. Then you're going to get fried. And then you're going to be eaten. So jump on. So the enemy doesn't give us a heads up. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the enemy roars around, prowls around like a roaring lion ready to devour us. See, he doesn't tell us when he's coming. He's tricky and he knows us. He makes it his business to know what it takes to lure you in. Oh, he knows if you like liveies on a big hook or cut up bait on a pink one. He knows And then when I read this scripture, I can see how the enemy is tricking Eve with the same kind of thing. It says that 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 Satan says that you will will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And then it says that, that Eve looks at that fruit and is like, oh my gosh, it looks so delicious. And I would really like that wisdom. You see, the enemy is making promises that... He has no power to be able to keep. He's making promises that are not his to fulfill. And not only that, he knows Eve so well that he knows exactly the kind of bait to put out there. She's going to want some wisdom. She's a girl that wants to know a bit more wisdom. She wants to feel like she knows what she's doing. I'm going to lure her in with that wisdom. And so Eve gets lured in by this false promise from the enemy. And then we can see what happens the next day. Because at that very moment, no, not the next day, at the very moment, her eyes were opened and suddenly they were filled with shame and regret. You see, that's what the enemy does. He lures you in with what he knows about you. He makes promises that he has no chance of fulfilling. He's tricky. And then what he does is he rubs your nose in it the next day when you're full of shame and regret. And he hangs that over you. And he keeps reminding you of that mistake that you made. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There's a way of life that looks harmless enough, but look again, it leads straight to hell. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. And see, what we see here is that those small, narrow-gate kinds of decisions often end up in big consequences. Those small decisions you make in your business that are potentially lacking in a bit of integrity, they have big consequences those small decisions you make in the moment to just have that one more drink or that one more joint has big consequences down the track. And you end up making a whole lot of decisions because you're now intoxicated that you live with for the rest of your life. Those small choices end up having big consequences. We have got to look out for the way the enemy is trying to trick us. You know, I want to make a disclaimer right here that actually we can't give the enemy too much credit. He's not that good. (laughs) You know, if, if your plumbing pipe bursts because there's a banana skin in it, 
It's more likely because you put the banana skin down the waste master than the devil living in your plumbing pipes. We've got to take responsibility, right, for what we do. <laughs> so we need to make adjustments in our life too. And that's the second um, point that I want to make is that we can navigate the environments we're in by making adjustments. And we can read here that it says that Eve then gave some to her husband who was with her and then he ate it too. Some of you, the adjustment that you need to make is your circle that you're hanging out with. Some of you are hanging out with people that are influencing you into making the wrong kinds of decisions, that are putting you in a situation that is coming all too familiar. And by that familiarity, over and over again, you end up weaker and weaker to making those choices because they become what you know, because of the circle that you're hanging out with. What circle are you in? Some of us need to look at the environment that we put ourselves in. Because for some of us, the circle that we choose and the environment that we step ourselves into, it's like someone's rolled out a red carpet for us to walk right into that bad decision. What is the environment that you're in that you need to remove yourself from? Sometimes the environment that you're in that you need to remove yourself from is worth relocating for because it matters that much. And maybe it's not an environment that you need to remove yourself from, but an environment that you need to create today. Do you have tension in your home? Come on, I've got teenagers. I know what that's like. Put on some worship music and you flood your home with worship music. You change the environment to one that is filled with praise and thanksgiving. Not the pity party that the enemy loves to join in, but one that sees God, that chooses God every time and chooses to put your eyes upon Him. What environment do you need to recreate in your home, in your life today? And the third thing that we can pull out from this Scripture to navigate the environments is that we can do that by knowing God. It says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3 to 4, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. You see, God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that nothing would be able to separate us from the love and the grace of our Father in heaven. He did that for us. And when you understand the gravity of that, you start to get to know His kind of voice. You see, it says in the Scripture that Satan was saying to Eve that, hey, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and then you'll be like Him. You see, Eve doesn't know what we know today. What we know today is that Jesus, who died on the cross for us, for our best, would never do anything that wasn't in our best interest. And so whenever we hear the sound that sounds anything other than, a, than the God who would do that, we know that we are not going to be listening to that. 
You see, Eve saw the fruit and she's like, my goodness, God made this fruit, right? It's just a bit of fruit. He made this fruit to nourish us. It all looks really good. Why can't I just have that piece of fruit? We can't question God's judgment. When he did something like dying on the cross for us, we get to trust him no matter how um, crazy it looks, no matter how delicious it looks. We can trust his judgment for us if he would do something like that. We would know that he desires freedom for us. Some of you here are living in a lie right now that Satan has sold you. That, hey, it's too late. You're just going to remain defeated in that area. Don't you know you were born into that family that has that tendency? Don't you know that you'll never overcome that experience in your life? Don't you know that you're way too broken for healing and for freedom in that area? Don't you know that it's too late for you? Don't you know? Satan has sold some of you that lie. But you see, Jesus did not go to the cross so that we could live defeated in that area. It may have become second nature to us, but it is not the nature of Jesus. It is not the nature of why He died on the cross for you. It is not the nature of the new life that He has for you. You see, it says in Romans 6 that the same Spirit that was given to Jesus to to resurrect Him is the very same Spirit that He puts on us to bring new life to us. God did not go to the cross so that we could live defeated in any area of our lives. Saying to the enemy, you may have had those last few years, but you are not having any more. It's saying to the enemy, yeah, I see that disappointment. I see that hurt. I see that brokenness. But I'm telling you right now that you are not having my future that you are not having my family, that you are not having my marriage. You are not having my calling because God has a great plan and purpose for you and it is of freedom, not defeat.